there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thank you so much for joining me. We've got another special episode today in partnership with Meadowlark and Lebetard and Friends with reaction from Landon Donovan, Chris Whittingham, and me to the U.S. men's national team's 2-1 win over Costa Rica on World Cup qualifying in match day six. Landon is in San Diego, where he coaches San Diego Loyal. Chris is in South Florida, and I am in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm writing for my Substack newsletter, which you should subscribe to, free or paid, at grantwall.com. Guys, it's good to see you. How are you? What's going on, guys? I feel like in that intro, two things stay the same and one thing changes, and I feel like it's just a reminder (laughs) that you're at every World Cup qualifier. That you travel a lot. <laughs> I travel a lot, man. I am looking forward to getting home for a few days, but it has been... I love covering these things on site. I love the the travel, the, the away games, the home games, too. Love being in that stadium tonight in Columbus. Brand new stadium. It's absolutely gorgeous. And just great location, great atmosphere. And the U.S. gets three points after a disastrous start going down 1-0 in the first minute on a a truly strange goal by Costa Rica. Let's start with Landon. What were you thinking at that point? All right, so full disclosure, I was driving home. I was like three minutes late to this bar with my buddies, and I get there and I see the screen, and I'm like, guys, what the hell happened? (laughs) They're like, man, last time we sat at that bar, we beat Jamaica 2-0, so they're like, it's all your fault, you weren't here in time, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. So I actually had to see it on the screen of his phone. And my thought was, what everyone thought is, you know, a little bit of a haphazard clearance by Zach. But then just a sort of series of, I guess, mistakes, but also a bit misfortune too. And then on first glance, you think, well, the player in front of Zach has to be offside. And then when you watch the replay, you see Serginio is kind of back in the play. Maybe he's off the field. And that's like sort of this gray area, too. So it was a bit of just a weird play, but a horrible start. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's I can't imagine a worse one. And and Zach Steffen is involved in that play. But I want to ask you, you both, like, how much was Zach Steffen at fault? And how did you feel about him getting his first start in qualifying ahead of Matt Turner? I wasn't particularly bothered by it. I, I think, you know, there, there's a, a segment of the U.S. men's national team fan base that was kind of annoyed that this is another bit of tinkering that Greg Berhalter did that felt unnecessary. I, I didn't think that Matt Turner was particularly good in Panama, particularly from a distribution point of view. And so I wonder if Greg Berhalter was kind of looking to improve in that area with Zach Steffen coming in. I was incredibly defensive of the decision. I, I thought that you know, Zach Steffen has kind of been unfairly maligned now because of how well Matt Turner has played. I don't think these are two things that are at odds. I still think Zach Steffen is an incredibly talented goalkeeper who has been chosen by Pep Guardiola to be a part of Manchester City. And also, Matt Turner has had an incredible couple of years in Major League Soccer. So I think that both are well capable of starting. But then, in the first minute, he's kind of involved in a moment where you almost see the lack of game experience that he has in recent times. Because he is shielded by a defender. It is an awkward situation. He comes racing off his line, which he's become comfortable with doing, playing for Pep and playing with Ederson. And so he's way out of his goal but then he comes back in and I think he's kind of unnerved by this movement that happens in front of him immediately goes to appeal for offside and I think it's kind of undone by circumstances that maybe if he were playing every week wouldn't feel as bothersome or as new to him so I do think that 
he is unlucky, but I think it, the, the bottom line is that's probably a save that he should be making and probably would have made if he was playing regular games for his club. Yeah, but I would say, Woody, I, I don't, I can't really tell, but I'm not sure he saw the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought maybe he was, he might have been like double blinded by his own player and then by the Costa Rican player too. So it's hard to know if he saw it because it looked like he just reacted late. The first part is, it's exactly what you said. It's just not being game sharp and making a little bit of a <laughs> a little bit of a crazy play flying out of his goal like that. But that being said, there was plenty of time for the US to settle, defend the cross, block the cross, defend the cross when it came in and then make a play and they just didn't. So, it was sort of a series of errors. But to the US credit, the response was excellent and what I've said over and over to you guys is mounting pressure on teams and they just did that over and over and over in the last 20 minutes were basically a cakewalk because Costa Rica were so worn out. Yeah, we talked after the third game in the window last month about how exhausted Honduras was and you could just see it on the field in the second half. And the US has more players that they use. They have I think the advantage of more infrastructural support. They fly charters. They uh, have this whole recovery arsenal that Greg Berhalter described a little bit when I asked him about it yesterday. And the advantage, I think, becomes very clear in the third game. And, and Costa Rica is an old team. I think Costa Rica has players that are older than you, Landon. And, <laughs> That's and, saying a lot. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, when Brian Ruiz yeah. has this, their one great chance of the second half, bad pass in the back by the U.S., uh, by Miles Robinson, and then Miles Robinson <laughs> catches up to Brian Ruiz, who should have had a breakaway. It and and Robinson makes a great uh, recovery run, and and you know the shot doesn't even really get off. But just you, you felt like this is an old Costa Rica team. It's a lot of the guys from the 2014 World Cup team that got to the quarterfinals, and it's frankly. Like not as good a Costa Rica team as we've seen uh, in in recent cycles. So um, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about the goal that the U.S. gets because you talked about the the U.S. recovery. They didn't panic after giving up the goal and kind of dominated. I thought even in the first half, hadn't scored a first half goal in nine games. Finally, did here. It's a terrific goal by Serginho Dest, who's a who can make special plays like this happen, but also. It was a sequence of buildup that lasted 35 seconds, 13 passes involving nine of the 11 U.S. players. For me, one of the best U.S. goals, team goals we've seen in a long time. What were your thoughts on on seeing that one? Phenomenal. It was a phenomenal goal. So when they started building, there was a part of me that was like, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, this is dangerous. But they made the next pass and the next pass and the next pass, and they broke pressure. And then it gets to Musa finally. And when he gave it to Sergino, I was talking to my teammates about the value of Musa. And there are so few players in the modern game that will take the ball and just advance it on their own, right? It's always a pass, a pass, breaking lines, a pass. But players who can just take the ball and advance the ball on their own are so valuable. So when it gets to Sergino Dest, I'm saying to them, just go, put them under pressure. And then he went to his left foot and you're kind of like, ah, the chance is gone. And then he unleashes this shot that was like, my, my buddy said something about his left foot later in the, in the night. And I said, 
or about goals with his left foot. And I said, there's a decent chance he never scores another goal with his left foot. <laughs> and certainly not like that. Um, he'll probably score a lot with his right foot. But it was a phenomenal strike. I mean, just the way it moved, it, it looked like he was left-footed. And um, it, was a, it was a phenomenal strike. We were just, we were in awe. To have it curling away from the keeper with your left, with your weaker foot, it's just, it's crazy. And right. the, and, and, and what the fear is when you go 1-0 down so early is Costa Rica are very used to playing in a low block and they have Kaylor Navas. So you're going to have to beat him with something special. And that's exactly what Serginho Des summoned. And I love the way that he has looked in the two home games in this window because it he in in the game script when you're going against teams that are defending you're you see him with freedom you see him in space getting forward having the ability to cut inside i i thought that uh, uh, John Champion and Taylor Twelman were talking about the notion of him and Weah perhaps having redundant skill sets, given like they, given that they both like to go outside. But Dest actually likes a cut inside, and Weah keeping a fullback honest affords him that space. I almost kind of wonder going forward because there's been so much conversation about how much he struggles away from home and how you can't really play him as the right back in a four when you're away from home and you're going to be under pressure and that's not the environment for him. I almost wonder if given how good he is going forward and how much he enjoys that freedom, if playing him in a winger role might not be the craziest thing and like putting him in an attacking position so that, okay, away from home, we still have a little bit of, of a player who understands defensive responsibilities, but has the creativity and you can kind of run your attack through him. And that's something I thought that the U.S. missed when they made all those changes in the game against Panama away from home is they didn't have anyone they can run their attack through. And so I do think that desk can represent a player who can do that and also put in a defensive shift. I think it's a great point. And I think if the U.S. are comfortable playing in a back three, uh, at least when they build, when they have the ball, he's perfect as sort of a right wing back, right winger and right back all in one. He can do all of it. Um, and I think away from home, your point is is perfect. I think using him to help defensively away from home as a right winger and then he's he's clearly good enough with the ball to make plays. So I think that, you know, as, as Greg and the staff assess these first two rounds, I think that's a very effective way to use him. Now, I remember this game in 2017, right? Huge, disappointing home loss to Costa Rica. And I remember Kaylor Navas had a ridiculous save on Christian Pulisic in that game when it was still a one-goal game. And I, I was stunned. It was one of the best saves I've ever seen in person by a, by a player. And Navas goes out at halftime of this game. And, you know, Navas isn't the goalkeeper he was five years ago, okay? But he's still a very good goalkeeper for one of the world's best club teams. Still plays at least half the time so far this season um, with PSG. And I do wonder, the the... The game-winning goal for the U.S., which I guess has been officially ruled an own goal, Tim Weah with the shot. Do you think if Navas is in the game that he makes the save? Yes. And when he came out at halftime, again, I was with my buddies in the bar, and I said, I, I have no idea what happened, but that is the biggest blessing for us. Um, I 100% he makes the save. 100% he makes the save on Weah's shot. And then... Who knows what happens after that? Maybe the U.S. do score again, but there's no doubt in my mind. And so that was that was a gift. We'll certainly take it. And and the other gift we got tonight was, I think the 
literally the only player in CONCACAF that we wanted on that midfield breakaway was Brian Ruiz. <laughs> I think that was the one player you would have picked out of anybody. Um, I'm, there's a decent chance that, Witty, you would have gotten there faster. Um, but as it was I've seen Chris run. I've seen him run. I don't okay. know. I, it looked like it literally looked like he was running in quicksand. Yeah. And uh, I was just going, please stop, please stop, please stop. Um, thankfully, it was the right guy who picked that pass off. Oh, well, it's not only the guy, not, it was not only the slowest man in the field, but he also had to cut onto his left. He wasn't going right. to score a right-footed goal, so he's got to find a cutback window. And like I think that's Miles Robinson's greatest skills. In some ways, that play is a perfect encapsulation of both his greatest strength and weakness, which is that man can cover so much ground in vulnerable situations. I've seen it at Inter-Miami a ton. Miami and Atlanta have played a bunch in the last couple of years. And Miles Robinson is one of the first players where actually doing games in the stadium really helped me because, I yeah, Miles Robinson looks good when you're watching on television. But when you see him just covering 1v1s over and over again, and that's not necessarily a highlight of it because it's Brian Ruiz and on the break, right? That's not exactly, you know, it's super impressive, but he makes up the ground and, and he puts in the shift, but also he gave the ball away initially. And his, and his inability to play is what will hold him back in his career from potentially being, you know, play, playing a really high level, maybe in, in Europe and the Bundesliga and wherever. I think Miles Robinson would already be there if not for his ability to play with his feet. So I think that's just the one thing he's got to improve on. And it nearly cost him, but thankfully it didn't fall to any other top Costa Rican players. It fell to Brian Ruiz. But he's... He's perfect. He's he's perfect to play in a game like this at home where you're going to dominate the ball and be in the opponent's end because he just puts out fires, right? And so that's that's the time when you can play him. When you're going to have all the ball, you let Tyler and you let Weston make the game and then he's just there to to put out all those dangerous moments. And I mean, credit to him after the mistake. His reaction was immediate and he made a huge play to put out that fire. One other play that I wanted to ask you about was actually moving back to the first half. So Chris Richards starts his first qualifier in central defense. I've been waiting for this. I kind of hoped it would happen earlier. And there are people, I talked about this a couple nights ago with Chris Richards when I got him one-on-one. There's people who think that the Richards-Robinson tandem could be the U.S. center back tandem for the the coming years. And so we got this opportunity to see them tonight. Um, First half, there's an incident where U.S. is in its own end. Weston McKinney, I think, was sort of at fault, not finding a way to, to break out. And then the ball ends up coming centrally. Yunus Musa comes back and, like, kind of hits the ball, like, gives Costa Rica a great scoring chance. Chris Richards dives in. I didn't, from where I was sitting in the stadium, I couldn't tell. Was there, was there a penalty shout on that play? But in the end, Costa Rica doesn't get the goal. Yeah, it was a combination of Richards and Stefan kind of getting there. Richards puts in a tackle, and the referee just kind of waves play on. They didn't really go back to the incident because I guess enough happened afterwards. But I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't see clearly whether or not that was an all-ball challenge. But yeah, that was kind of like the moment where he was tested the most. A couple other moments where I liked where he stepped and, and ventured into the midfield and was trying to keep, you know, like you mentioned Landon all the time, keeping the pressure on the opponent. You have to have center backs that step and then win the ball high and then keep it. And then they've got to get back into their shape. Richards did that on a couple of occasions. But I'm not really sure that this is the game where you really identify that. I think... 
you know, it's when you're the one facing the pressure that I'm kind of interested in Chris Richards. People talk about his ball playing ability, but you want to see, you know, frankly, what Walker Zimmerman did in the first two games of the window. And particularly in Panama, I thought he played really well in those two games in Panama and was one of the chief reasons why it wasn't worse than the one goal that they gave up. Because I think I think Zimmerman is up for the kind of challenge. Defensively, you've got a couple of center backs for me and Zimmerman and Robertson that are up to the challenge. But if you want to take that step forward, you have more talented players. I mean, in theory, the most talented center back partnership is Brooks and Richards. But Robinson and Zimmerman, I think, do the job for what you need them to do right now. Yeah, I'll tell you, I think we got three gifts tonight. We talked about two of them, Kaylor Navas going out, uh, Brian Ruiz on a breakaway instead of someone else. But in my opinion, that was... That should have been probably a penalty red card on that play. He puts his foot in the way as, I don't remember who it was from Costa Rica, tries to score. And, you know, if he calls the foul, he's got to give a red card too. So it's, thankfully, there's no VAR in that moment. But also there probably could have been a penalty pushing the back on Pepe in the second half. So maybe it's relatively even. But I thought that was a really dangerous moment. And in another day, that could have been a really really bad scenario for us. So after the game uh, in the press conference, I asked Greg Berhalter about why he thought the central midfield was so much better in this game for the U.S. than it was against Panama. And obviously the personnel was different. You had Tyler Adams, who I think should always start in the central midfield and and not at right back and not on the bench. Um, And then you had McKinney, Decent game, I thought. You know, he had a couple of moments, like I was talking about earlier, where he caused some problems for the U.S. But uh, and Musa was much better in this game than he was against Panama and rebounded well from getting yanked at halftime in that game and, and played with confidence again tonight. I think he's really positively affected by having Adams and McKenney next to or you know, with him in the central midfield. Burhalter, to answer my question, said that he was really much happier tonight with the movement uh, off the ball, the just the overall movement in the midfield, in the connections that took place. You know, Paul Carr had a stat that he put up that there were 33 passes in the first half completed between the U.S. central midfielders, three times as many as we saw from the three central midfielders in Panama in the first half. So clearly a much better performance. Yeah, I mean... It- it's just personnel. <laughs> I can't like. <laughs> I, I I wish there was some like magical reason why. It's just Weston and Tyler together are just so dominant, and then it complemented well by Musa, who, like I said earlier, could just take the ball and run by people. So I thought they were dominant. Tyler was excellent. Weston had some bad moments, um, but he also had some great moments, and he was he was he was all over the place. So they were just. They were just dominant, those three. And it was just, to me, it just came down to personnel. Yeah, I, I think Weston in the first half was giving the ball away in bad areas. I think showed a lot of why I think his progress kind of stunts at certain points is because there's just enough end product and he loses the ball in bad situations that can lead to counters down the other end. It got better in the second half. I think people that kind of like maintain that as a game result kind of, you know, stuck with it in the first half and didn't adjust when it kind of got better in the second. But I think that's certainly an area for him to improve. I do kind of wonder though, like obviously it is personal. Now, these are immensely talented players. Yunus Musa, I think, is awesome and is destined to, you know, make Valencia a lot of money and hopefully play a lot for them more often than central midfield because I actually use him more as a wide man in Valencia. I hope that changes. However, 
I do kind of wonder where the room for improvement from that group is just in terms of getting other guys in there. How does Busio fit when you play him with Adams? How does De La Torre fit when you play him with... Because I think the, the key lesson from this is what you said, Grant, which is him starting in the holding role in central midfield, not at right back, not on the bench, and starting. If, if you're going to play in 45 minutes, have it be the first 45 minutes so you set the tone. Um, but Tyler Adams is an indispensable part of the team. You cannot take him out of this team. And I also think he's gotten criticized in the past for not necessarily being the best passer and occasionally like, you know, part of the way that they moved him to right back so that they can so that they can accommodate Will Trapp or Jackson Yule or someone who's more thought of as a passer. And I think Tyler Adams is plenty good as a passer. Like, you see him, like, he picks out some switches. He takes some chances with his passing. Like, I think he is better than he is given credit for at that skill. He's got to play. He's got to play in the central midfield. He's just, he's too impactful. And I think, I actually think the best complement of players is those three that played tonight. I think Mm -hmm. those are the best three. You have to find a way to, obviously, to get Christian and Gio on the field when they're healthy. Um... And it's going to be tough because Brendan Aronson's been playing well too. So, but those are good problems to have. But I think I think that mix of three was was the best I've seen. Just just in the way the chemistry works between them. So, as with the last window, the U.S. wins the third game. So uh, important, obviously. This was a pivotal game here because the U.S. was losing at one point. Zero points tonight would have been a disaster. And we would have been talking in this podcast about Greg Berhalter being on the hot seat and the U.S. could have been in as low as fifth place in this tournament, would have been passed uh, by Costa Rica, uh, among other teams. And getting the three points, huge difference. Now, the U.S., we're still recording this during the Mexico game, I think. Is that game over yet? Yeah, it finished 2-0 to Mexico. Okay, so the U.S. is in second place behind Mexico. Obviously, USA-Mexico is the next game. So less than a month away, just down the road in Cincinnati, there's going to be a huge buildup. I have so many friends that are already like texting me of like, can I get tickets? By the way, I'm a journalist. I don't even buy tickets. I don't know how to get tickets. I never bought (laughs) tickets in my life. Um, So, but like the buzz is already growing for this game. And I think it's going to be by far, I think it's the biggest U.S.-Mexico game we've, we've seen in the U.S. And it's, it's just going to be something very exciting, uh, the vibe leading up to it. How, how are you feeling about this? Because, uh, you know, the U.S. is on 11 points, Mexico on 14. So the U.S. kind of needs to win three points at home. It reminds me a bit, it, it, it reminds me a bit of... Um, we, we've talked a lot about Grant uh, recently, the Manchester City Liverpool rivalry, and like how like those games are so often determined by the first fifteen minutes. And I think it, it's going to look the same in Cincinnati, where the U.S. is going to be put under pressure in the first fifteen minutes, and it's going to be how do they respond? How d- do you have enough guys? that are up for that occasion, that are not intimidated by it, that, okay, we got to knock it long, but then we have to rest and reorganize and and, and figure out how we're going to play from there. Is Greg Berhalter going to take any chances where you're going to see a lineup and go, "Mm, I don't know about that group. Are Reyna and Pulisic going to be fit? How does that change the scope of the game? Um, So I think... You want to see, and given the fact that it's a two-game window as opposed to a three-game window, it allows you the chance to just pick your best team, these are our guys. We're, we're not changing system. We're not bringing along any projects. 
We're going to take the evidence of the first six games and pick the best performers from the first six games, pick our best players, and have a real go at Mexico. Now, I think it's going to be a really tough game because Mexico have looked really strong in this window. They seem to handle these away qualifiers better than the U.S. do. I just think they're a better team. Uh, Like, they have taken on their manager's instructions a bit better. They are more comfortable. But the U.S., of course, can win because it's USA-Mexico at home. And I think that they've got absolutely a chance to go and win this game. But it depends on how well they handle the mental occasion, which I think from the beginning they have not always gotten right. Yeah, I think a key point you made there, Witty, is this is a two-game window. And it's, I believe, they're four four days in between games, right? Mm -hmm. The 12th and 16th? Yeah. It's a Friday, Tuesday. Yeah, that extra 24 hours is crucial in your recovery. So if you're traveling, generally you take away a day of recovery, but they get it back. So they will be fully recovered by the time they get to Jamaica. So this is no rotation or change this. or cha- It's like play your best team twice in a row and get as many points as you can. I am fascinated by this game. Uh, I think it's going to be probably the most hyped U.S.-Mexico game ever just because of where it falls in qualifying right now with both teams on top. But it goes back to your first point, Grant. Tonight was massive. If they're sitting on nine points instead of 11, that game is so much more important. Um, Of course it's important regardless, but it would have been basically a must win. Um, The U.S. has already dropped two points at home. You can't drop too many more points at home. The key is, though, they've already picked up four on the road, and that that goes a long way. Um, I would have expected by now two or three points on the road, but they've already picked up four. So that gave them a little cushion, but they lost the two at home. So they're basically where they probably should be, but this game against Mexico is huge. And I, I believe if they win that game, uh, it's not a foregone conclusion. We're only halfway through, but I believe if they win that game, they're going to qualify. By the way, I was in Mexico City for a day last Friday and was talking to folks down there, and a dude said to me, I hate Landon Donovan. <laughs> well, there's, um, Grant, I would say there's probably millions and millions of other people who have share the same sentiment, American, Mexican, and other. <laughs> I disagree. I disagree. Who could hate All you, right. Landon? All right, maybe hundreds of thousands. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, I feel like the time has come. It's after a win here, so the tone is is maybe mm. a little more upbeat than after the Panama game. I, there was a, a, a sound uh, section that we wanted to play for you, a clip, Landon, from an earlier podcast that we had um, in which you were talking about some of the best clubs in the world and uh, we wanted to play that clip for you here. Oftentimes, guys, and you know this from watching, these games don't look like soccer games. They don't look like (laughs) soccer games when you're watching Barcelona or you're watching Juventus or you're you're watching Norwich or you're what, they're not, these are not soccer games. Norwich? That's the that's the club you think of right after the other two? Well, I mean, that's a high-quality <laughs> soccer-playing club. So, um, I, no, what came to my mind was Josh, Josh Sard's sergeant. Yeah. So, um, playing in El Salvador is not the same as playing away to Man United. Um, yeah, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Sorry. <laughs> There's only so many major European clubs that can come to mind. And you know what? Barca, Juve, Real Madrid, AC Milan, and Norwich. 
Yes. <laughs> that, that's last place Norwich in the Premier aren't League. They, aren't they joining the Super League, Norwich? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the Norwich supporters love you now, putting, putting them in the same breath. I have three really good friends who are Norwich supporters, so they'll be very happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> and we do have one other clip that we wanted to play oh, for you that came from, uh, I think it's from a CBS broadcast uh, from their studio show. You want to play that, Chris? I like this question. Which U.S. men's national team teammate would you make lie down behind the wall? Clint. Oh, I'll put Charlie down there. I knew. I was waiting. Get I thought all there, three Charlie. would say me because I'm the striker. I'm hey, not going to be in the wall. Just Go hey, down, right he, now. he got a, he got a face for for uh for right <laughs> here he goes. Put him down. Put him I'm gonna say you need me up there for the counterattack, so you can't put me so down on the wall. I'm gonna put someone small, uh, Landon. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything in response here, my friend? Like first of all, uh, that, that was Charlie, right? Yeah, I'm taller than Charlie. First of all, wow, <laughs> and I'm stronger. <laughs> Actually, I'm not stronger. <laughs> I wasn't faster. wasn't stronger. Um, yeah, all right, Charlie. I'll remember that. <laughs> I'll remember that. By the, by the way, like, this whole putting the man down on the ground, which, which Lionel Messi had to do weirdly for PSG in a Champions League game that. recently. <laughs> why are we just seeing this now? Like, guys have been trying to go under a free kick wall for decades, right? Mm-hmm. I think I yeah, saw. I, I, I think I saw free kick recently where, they, like, it was under the wall, and I guess the team forgot to do it. Like, there's still teams out there that aren't doing this. Um, but yeah, it was definitely one of those where some team did it. It made headlines, and then I think it was it was a complete copycat league situation where the rest of the world decided, "Hey, we got to put someone under the wall." Why didn't any of us think of this? Mm-hmm. I don't know who started it, but it's one of those where, like, if it's Pep or Klopp or somebody. You know who has a lot of credibility, and they do it. Everyone else is like, well, "Why the hell wouldn't we?" Do? I remember I, not too many years ago now, where I think it was Pep who just stopped putting guys on the post on defending corner kicks. And next thing you knew, it was like, "Well, why did we ever have someone on the post? We would never put anyone on the post." And it's just the way it's just the way world football, but all sports go. It's just copycat. Very good stuff, guys. Always enjoyable to talk to you. We will be back doing this for. USA Mexico is the next one. That's a big one and always appreciate you coming on. Thank you guys. Grant, get some rest, man.